In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We continue our mini-series on the topic of discipleship for the next few weeks. We began last week by examining the call of Christ and his claim on your life as his disciple as, as we use the call of Matthew, the tax collector, as our case study. And now we move a little bit further down the road here in Matthew's gospel, and we hear about Jesus' commissioning of the twelve apostles to go into the villages to cast out demons and perform healings, all while proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And it was this unique commissioning that established this pattern of Christian ministry that we see continue on in the book of Acts. Now admittedly, it's a bit of a challenge to jump directly from the call of the apostles themselves to application in our Christian life. It's kind of a jump, but that's our challenge today. We're going to make the jump and we're going to be okay, trust me. We're going to move from our understanding of the unique commissioning of the apostles to the way that Christ has uniquely commissioned each one of us in our vocations. Okay, So in our gospel text today, Jesus began this commissioning by first taking up the task, taking up the work that he was going to entrust to his disciples by doing it himself. He went throughout the cities and the villages, teaching the gospel and performing miracles. Then there is this key verse upon which everything today hinges. This key driver behind the commissioning of the disciples and even behind his commissioning of you. And here it is. Chapter 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for the crowds he ministered to. They were being misled and abused and assaulted by the false doctrine and the horrendous misappropriation of God's word by their religious superiors, the Pharisees. The word compassion here, our word in English, probably doesn't do it justice all that much. The Greek word is splagnizomai, and the reason I use that word is because that splachnon, that root right there, it refers to your guts. It refers to everything that's deep down inside you, down to your very bowels. And I don't want to get too crass with it, but that's what is being used here. Meaning, Jesus felt compassion down to his very guts, everything in him. Jesus was moved to his guts to have pity on these people out of his great love for them. And as Jesus was moved down to his very core, he told his disciples about the harvest. He said that there there are so many out there who needed a shepherd, but there were so few laborers to take up this critical task. And so he gave them a solution. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, for laborers, that they may be sent into the harvest. Now notice what he does then. First, he tells them to pray for laborers, and then he sends them out as laborers. He calls the twelve and he commissions them for their unique work in and among the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So let's keep this in context. It was out of this deep, 
gut-level compassion that Jesus sent out his laborers. It's the same word, that word compassion, it's the same word that's used for God the Father in describing his love for you, in sending his Son to seek you out, to save you, to snatch you out of the jaws of the devil and to place you in his kingdom, to bring you into the community of the Christian church where there is forgiveness, life, and salvation. That's the type of love that Jesus has, the same love as his Father for you. It's the same gut-level, visceral love that he has for the world today in that he calls and commissions pastors in the church today. Did you know that he has sent you a pastor because he loves you? It's kind of weird to say. That's exactly why you have a pastor. He sends you a pastor because he loves you and he wants you to be kept in the true faith. He wants you to be constantly assured of your salvation through faith by receiving his gifts continually under the care of your shepherd. That's what he wants. That's his will for you. But what Jesus said in our passage today still holds true. There's still so few laborers. And this is pretty true across the board, uh, with, with church bodies across the board, but this is especially true with our synod. It's no secret that our synod struggles greatly with a major shortage of pastors. Even now, right now as we're speaking, there's a lot of congregations that are gathering this morning without pastors in their pulpits. Now Jesus has given us a remedy for that. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. From the beginning, Fortress has prayed to be ascending church, whatever form that takes. It's in our, probably in our constitution, I think, to be ascending church. That's what we want to be, right? We prayed about that. We continue to pray that. Well, here in just a few weeks, we're going to be sending out Rory Fry and his family to begin Rory's seminary training and his parish level uh, preparation over at Gathering Lutheran Church up in Waco, the church plant that we've sent out. And so now he's going to be placed there, and now he's going to be going to seminary, and he's going to be trained for the pastoral ministry. Furthermore, I hate to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm just telling you, this is what God is doing in our church, all right? Furthermore, two other men in our congregation are actively taking steps to go to one of our seminaries within the next couple of years and to receive pastoral training. Not bad for a five-year-old church. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you get specific in this area of prayer, if you really ask Jesus for this type of thing, he's going to do it. He will do it. So continue to pray that God will raise up laborers for the task, especially here at Fortress. And while you're at it, go ahead and pray for some other things as well. Pray that uh, God would send us a musician to lead us in song or something like that. Pray, you know, pray for the things that you see that we need and trust that Jesus wants to do it. Because he does. Now, pastors are one thing. And they're a critical part of Jesus' ministry in the world. But, but what about you? And this is where we get into Christian vocation. When we use this word vocation, it simply means calling. You have several callings in your life. Several. If you're a father, as we celebrate today, if you're a father, that is a specific calling. 
God has uniquely authorized you. He has commissioned you as a dad to do the things that only you can do. And as a Christian dad, that brings with it certain responsibilities, right? Uh, Responsibilities that the scriptures outline. You are to be faithful and loving to your wife. You are to raise your children in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. You are to teach them and equip them in the Christian faith. No other man has that commissioning that you do. It's yours. Own it. I always feel like, you know, on Mother's Day, the moms get told how awesome and amazing they are. And then on Father's Day, the dads just get beat up, right? You ever notice that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid doing that today. But that is your unique call, Christian. Now, one of your vocations, one of your vocations as a Christian disciple is the vocation of witness. So as a Christian, you have lots of callings, lots of vocations and responsibilities that that brings. One of them is to uh, uh, the vocation of prayer. That is to call upon God's name, to invoke his help and his aid. That's the vocation of prayer. This vocation we're talking about today is witness. Witness. Now that Christ has claimed you as his own, he has called you to bear witness in your vocations. So as a mother, as a worker, as a neighbor, as a Rotary Club member, whatever hat that you have, and you've probably got 12 or 13 of them, Christ has called you to bear witness in that vocation. Because it's yours. It's yours uniquely. No one else can go where you go every single day. And why has he laid this task upon you? Out of great gut-level compassion for those who are in your sphere. Because he loves them and he wants to bring them to eternal life. And he's entrusted you to help. The scriptures are chocked full of examples of men and women walking faithfully in their vocations and witnessing to others. One of the ones that has stuck out and been on my mind lately, I think especially as a couple Wednesdays ago with VBS, we were talking about this with the kids. And then last Wednesday, of course, was our commemoration of the prophet Elisha. But uh, this one really sticks out to me. And it's the, it's the slave girl, it's the servant girl in 2 Kings chapter 5. So, so the Syrian army had raided Israel And they had captured this little Israelite girl and they turned her into a slave who worked in the house of Naaman, the captain of the Syrian guard. So if there was anyone who was limited by her vocation, if there was anyone who could say to God, "Uh, yeah, I know that you've called us to faithfulness. I know you called us to bear witness as your covenant people, but I'm going to check out on that right now. Because I'm a, I'm a servant girl in the house of the enemy right now. She'd be justified in doing it in our minds, right? She was a slave. She was a little girl who was snatched away from her homeland. She was one of God's own people forced to work in the household of God's enemies. But what happened? Her master, Naaman, came down with leprosy. And there was the faithful little girl who had the courage to open her mouth and tell Naaman's wife about a prophet down in Israel who could bring healing. She had the faithfulness to say that there is a God over Israel who can save and who can restore her master to health. 
The girl did not need a pulpit. She didn't need a microphone. She didn't need a stage. She didn't need to stand with a sign on a corner. All she needed was faithfulness in her vocation. There's this wonderful book um, by a, a, a Swedish Lutheran bishop whose name was Bo Geertz. It's called The Hammer of God. Note takers, write that down. The Hammer of God. I've got one copy on my shelf if you want to take it after this, uh, but please bring it back. In, in one of the stories in the book, there's a young pastor named Savonius. You know where I'm going, Matt? Okay. There's a young pastor named Savonius, and he's sent out into the Swedish countryside to the house of this dying man named Johannes. All right? So you got a young pastor. He's going to the house of a dying man. And the dying man, Johannes, his sister and his brother-in-law are there trying to care for him. Um, but Johannes doesn't have long at all. He is drawing his last breaths, and his conscience is terrified by the wrath of God. So the pastor's job in that moment is pretty simple. It's to go in there and to minister to him and to bear faithful witness to the promises of the gospel. Now it's this long dialogue and it's wonderful. It's more wonderful than I can explain to you here. I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you. So he goes, Savonius goes to Johannes' bedside and he says, I wish you God's peace, God's eternal peace and blessing. But Johannes says, not for me. To me, God will say, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Pastor Savonia says, but God is good. God is good. And Johannes says, yep, that's exactly why I'm going to hell. Savonius tells him that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But Johannes fires right back and he said, yeah, that they should turn from their wicked way and live. But I have not done that. I have not repented. Savonius, the pastor, was grasping at straws by that point. Didn't know what to say. He says, Johannes, there's no one who is more upright than you. Surely, if there is anyone who is going to enter into eternal life, it's you. There's no one more faithful than you. And Johannes says, Pastor, God will not judge me by other people, but he will judge me by what is written in his book. Every word. It goes on like this for several pages. Savonius doesn't know what to say. He's frazzled. You know, he's young in the ministry. And he has to go outside so that he can vomit. Partially from the smell of death in the room, but also partially because of his failure and his uselessness. He was unable to comfort the dying man. And while the pastor's outside, he hears a woman's voice. She says, Pastor, is Johannes still with us? It's Johannes' neighbor, Katrina. And he says, yes. And she goes in and she goes to Johannes' bedside and Johannes looks up at her and tells her, Katrina, it's good of you to come here. I am a sinner, a great sinner. And without missing a beat, she says, yes, you are Johannes, but Jesus 
is still a greater Savior. Then he tells her how he has never repented, that he has never received a new heart. And she said, it's not repentance that you lack. Your repentance is just as good as any. It's faith that you lack. If you could have a new heart and thereby earn favor with God and earn your way into salvation, what use would Christ be to you? And then she goes on to lay promise after promise after promise upon him. She says, He that believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, that faith is counted for righteousness. And as she goes through the scriptures and through the promises of God, through faith in Christ, he asks for one more. He says, just give me one more and I'll believe it. Give me one more sure and certain word to believe. And she says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, even yours. And in this barely audible voice, Johanna says, Amen. I believe. Pastor Savonius is standing over in there in the corner, his mouth agape. He has no idea what to say. He's processing what happened. And Katrina doesn't miss a beat. I love this. She continues to faithfully walk in her vocation. And she says, okay, now Johannes, God's work has been done here. Now turn to the pastor, ask him to absolve you of your sins and ask him for the body and blood of Jesus. So, and then the book says this, that Savonius noticed how before everyone looked at him like he was useless. And now all of a sudden, everyone turned to him in reverence because he was useful to them again. So he absolved him of his sins and gave him the sacrament. You may never be in situations like these, but you will be in your own unique circumstances based on your vocations, where God has authorized and commissioned you to go. How about a small upstart mission church that built a relationship with a middle-aged woman simply because she was neighbors with a couple of members? How about this woman who was baptized at an early age but fell away from the Christian faith for many years, decades even, and that church walked faithfully with her and invited her to share life. And the congregation faithfully shared the promise of God with her through faith in Christ and what he had done for her in her baptism. And how about that same woman, once she's brought back to faith, beginning to witness to people on her own, witnessing to a, a young lady who was in an army with a mixed background of non-Christian faiths as she begins to bring her around our church family. And as our church family shared with her the promises of forgiveness and eternal life and salvation. And the, pa the pastor catechized her and baptized her. You know which church I'm talking about? This one. And we've got several examples. People walking faithfully in their vocations of witness in just a few short years. Imagine what God has in store in the years to come. Imagine what he wants to do and what he wants to work as we continue to go where he has authorized and commissioned us to go. From the community and the fellowship of our church into our respective vocations with the gospel on our lips and emanating from our hearts and back again. It's slow work. It's hard work. We're not going to make any newspaper headlines. 
But that's okay. This is holy work. It's the good work that God has redeemed and prepared us to walk in. Your God has called you to himself by the gospel. He has raised you with Christ in baptism. He has given you faith by the power of the Holy Spirit that you may live as Jesus' disciple. And he has sent you into the places that only you can go. That you may with your words and your deeds bring the good news of the kingdom of Christ. May God help us to do it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.